Welcome to this week's edition of the Contact Centre podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Mitchell, and I'm the Features Editor here at Call Centre Helper. In this episode, we'll be looking at the topic of Contact Centre AI, What Are Your Options? with Dr. David Naylor, the founder of Humanotics, a company that aims to demystify AI and support customer operations to best implement AI-based technologies. David achieved his PhD in AI from Loughborough University all the way back in the early 90s and we start our conversation by discussing how AI-based technologies have been developing ever since. I think the danger is that there's a lot of hype that's been attached to this in terms of it being able to solve lots of problems. The challenge is ensuring that you're applying it to the right problems. You don't necessarily need to sort of come up with a defined premise that says if they do this and if they do that they're going to churn. The data will tell you that no business would be automatically allowing chatbot to update itself. So it's got to to go through that human in the loop process, whatever happens. This episode of the Contact Centre podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omni-channel customer experience and contact centre solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. I remember hearing a presentation that you gave and you said that AI in the contact center was a topic that was discussed all the way back in the 1990s, but then it went away for a little while until recently. And now all of a sudden there's a lot of hype around the technology. Why do you think this is? I think go back to the early 1990s when I did my PhD in AI, I didn't sort of think I'd be talking about it sort of 30 years on, which is quite nice to be able to do that. What was happening in those days was very much around sort of using sort of fairly slow processing power, limited amounts of data. It was very much early days of trying to make some of these machine learning models, which I think is is what's what's caught the imagination in the last few years, models where you train the AI with data to represent with inputs and outputs that represent a certain scenario you're trying to model and replicate. In those early days, we were limited with what we could achieve in terms of scaling those things up to real-world applications. What's happened in the last five, ten years is because of the growth of data, a lot of which has come off mobile phones. So so consumer usage of, of phones has provided tons and tons of data to the likes of Google, that means that they can start to use that to analyze customers and analyze behavior and from there predict things that whether it's for sales or whether it's for service um, can um, deliver those services sort of through the through the phone as well as the processing power. So we've got the architectures that Google's built in the cloud that have taken their technology and their solutions that are developed internally and deployed those to the wider world now so that anyone can sort of take the same models and and build their own machine learning, artificial intelligence models they can use in their own business. So we've got the processing power, we've got lots of data, um, we've got the yes, the frameworks, if you like, uh, it's probably the best way to describe them, that people can use for a very low-cost start point. You know, sort of, it's, it's just sign up, get an account, and you can start building an artificial intelligence-based model. So 
it's really transformed the whole artificial intelligence world. It's totally different to what you know, if we were doing 30 years ago. And it's, it's great to sort of see sort of people trying things. I think the danger is that there's a lot of hype that's been attached to this in terms of it being able to solve lots of problems. The challenge is ensuring that you're applying it to the right problems because not every problem you know, is one that will you know, get the most out of sort of these these models. And I think at the moment, a lot of companies are just talking about AI and saying, you know, well, yeah, we've got AI built into our product. Actually, they've probably had some analytics and some sort of some logic that's doing the same job as the AI is doing for the last 10 years or more. Um, just what the, the machine learning models can now do is probably do it slightly better, but not necessarily significantly better. So we need to be careful that, you know, when we're looking at these claims around AI today, that there truly is some benefits from what that AI is proposing to do. And I think you've raised a very interesting point there that the kind of the difference between what is mediocre AI and what is great AI is just the amount of data that you kind of have access to. Do you have any tips for obtaining data that's stored beyond the contact center? Well, I think that the important thing about having an access to data in an organization is that everyone needs to understand the value of that data and, and be willing to share it across the business. And I think we still have a lot of data silo mentality across our organizations where you know marketing hangs on to its data, customer service hangs on to its data, finance, et cetera. Yeah, it's all seen as, as being belonging to that team, for instance. But I think the challenge is saying, right, if we have a proper strategy around AI, that means that we need to have a proper strategy around our data. And therefore, organizations that are leading in this space have put in place that data information strategy to support the development of use of data with AI and just not necessarily with AI, but just, just in general, you know, sort of general using that data better across the business. So break down those silos, whether that's physically making sure that data gets centralized um, through data lakes or whatever is appropriate for the organization, but sort of making sure that there's a physical place where you can access that data. And also then the policies and procedures in place that allow you to, to use that data. And I think there's clearly... There's a lot of concern about how data does get used, naturally important today with GDPR and all those data protection regulations. So as well as having that physical side in place, it's also important to have the processes in place to support that. So it sounds like it's a big task. It doesn't have to be a big task. I think there's two ways to think about this. There's the underlying architecture that you need to and process and policies to support that access. But then it's important to have experimentation going on. So you need to understand what data is useful. So you need to be trying things and experimenting with data to see how it can be useful to the organization. And those things then provide a business case that sort of describes and explains why you should move towards a more centralized sort of approach to your data. So often the business case to put data in one place is actually really hard to, to justify. Most organizations just don't see the value. So do some experimentation, work between departments where you've got some like-minded individuals and common goals prove there's some value in bringing that data together, investing in more centralized repositories and approaches. And then, you know, from there, it should help to create that common view of sharing and, and benefiting from data. 
Excellent. I think there's kind of lots to think about as you've kind of gone through there in obtaining that data. But once we have it, I think one of the best use cases of AI I've heard is in predicting customer behavior as you can use that to then retain customers. So could you tell us a little bit about how this might work? Sure. I mean, so there's two sides to sort of AI applications as far as I see it within customer management space. So there's the interaction side, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly and how you use data in real time interactions. And then there's the prediction side, whether that's to do with predicting next best activities in terms of will this customer buy a product if we offer it to them or what's the likelihood of this customer churning. So those sort of models are things which take time to develop and we have to work out what are the factors that are important in driving that behavior. And we've got probably quite a lot of experience in a lot of businesses of putting together simple models that say, you know, if a customer's called in the last month and has complained and has called again and the complaint's not resolved and they're outside of their contract, the chances are they're going to want to to cancel. So those simple models are okay and you can keep using those and you know that's going to give you a certain level of success in, in terms of churn management. What AI allows you to do is actually go beyond really what you can see in in that simple data and go almost a bit further back in time and start putting together more information about what the customers purchased in the past and how many times they do make contact with you and what's the sort of issues they've had when they've made contact with you. You don't necessarily need to sort of come up with a defined premise that says if they do this and if they do that they're going to churn. The data will tell you that if you select the right input data and to then look at what's the profile of somebody who's churned What's the profile of customers who, who don't churn and build the model so that you know, it learns sort of both types of customer. You've got to be careful that you don't sort of just throw everything in. You know, it's still important to, to think about what are the potential bits of data that could affect it. But you don't need to really understand too precisely what does affect it. The model will help you to get to that point. So those are some really good examples of, of what people are doing now. And there are other things like fraud. You know, fraud is a good example of being able to manage fraud better. That's something that a certain number of clients in the financial services space are really sort of making headway with in terms of sort of using using AI. Yeah, I think that's very interesting that you uh, bring up fraud because it's definitely a topic I've heard AI now being used a lot in that area. Do you kind of envisage more and more organizations turning to AI to help improve their security? Definitely, definitely. I was talking to one insurance company in the last few weeks and with traditional models, they managed to go a fair way towards reducing fraud. You know, they learned a lot about you know what what drives the fraud and you know the costs and how how to target some of the big areas of cost and reduce those. But with AI, they've taken it to the next level, and you know their sort of their latest model is probably saving them somewhere around sort of five million pounds a year on fraudulent insurance claims, and they're using AI to just really look for patterns in sort of the details of the claim and sort of spot those patterns recurring over time. And the next step is to start looking at the voice and actually not just what the notes are that go with the claim, but actually what the customer is saying and you know, analyzing at that level. So you're going right back to the source rather than so just, just the written content of a claim. So that's getting possible now because the speech analytics capabilities are improving so much. 
And you, know, you see other examples of uh, sort of phone printing technology, which is supporting organizations to actually not just listen to the voice, but listen to the stress and listen to the, you know, the way in which customers are speaking and how they pause and respond to, to questions and, and combine that with lots of geographic data that sort of sits behind the call. So you know, what number are they calling from? Does that number match up with our data and uh, things like that? So you can start to sort of get a much bigger picture of potentially fraudulent claims by pulling all those just those discrete bits of data together along with the the more sort of you know, AI generated bits of data and start to sort of look at the pictures and patterns in those in those calls. So it's definitely a really big growth area, a number of key vendors who are offering that sort of technology today already. Yeah, I think I remember um, speaking to one person and they said that um, this kind of AI technology can pick up hundreds of characteristics just in somebody's voice alone and then kind of matching that with other patterns in kind of customers' speech and activity, as you said, is um, seems like a very useful thing and definitely probably the future in fraud protection. And kind of another area where I see AI coming into a lot at the moment is in routing and predictive routing especially. Can you just tell us a little bit about how AI can be used for doing that? Yeah, I, mean, I suppose it's, it's building on sort of the modeling that we talked about earlier, but putting it into sort of a you know, live interaction environment where you're bringing in data from you know, the, the historical context for a customer and looking at sort of you know, the interactions they've had with you. you know, have they been on the website? Have they been looking at particular products? And you know, all that sort of data that, that you know, we want to try and try and bring together into one place. You know, there's certainly progress being made in, in being able to capture that and make use of it. I think the other side of it is and when the customer calls in is asking them what they actually want. You know, we, we make assumptions about what they want based on you know, whether they're in a renewal cycle on an insurance policy or we can see that they've been on the website. But actually then combining that with the audio and sort of, you know, so how can we help you today? There's lots of advances in that technology space, which are really interesting today with open platforms providing the speech recognition and intent analysis, which allow people to get started sort of really easy. As I mentioned, you know, sort of the likes of Google and Amazon, IBM, others you know, are all providing these solutions, which get very, which help you to sort of get started, I suppose. You know, I think there's, there's still an important point around professional services and, and making sure that these solutions are robust, but you can certainly experiment very easily with creating your own customer interaction solutions. So, you know, they're great because you know, when we ask the customer what they want, we can record that snippet of conversation and instantly we've got some categorization of call types. So, you know, I want to talk about, about my renewal, I want to cancel my policy, I want to change my vehicle would be sort of the sorts of things that customers would say in the insurance world. And then from there, you know, you can use some self-service technology which you know, allows you to fulfill that need without actually needing to speak to a, a customer service representative and the capability with ai powered speech engines today means that you know the accuracy and effectiveness of those solutions is very good so just for one client one case study of a, a client who has implemented 
this just a routing solution to help them you know get the course the right place whether it's going to a store or whether it's going to a contact center big retail client rare routing 11 million calls through this technology and you know have dropped their transfer rates down to you know, really really low levels i can't, I can't share the numbers but they've done an amazing job at, at reducing call transfers because of misdirected calls so there's certainly a real business case to be looked at for this type of technology and and um, you know, whether it's just for simple routing or whether it's for full self-service. I think it's also a very good kind of example of how AI is not just about customer data and how you can use kind of advisor data as well and then kind of route the customers to advisors who they're most likely to have great rapport with. So it's definitely a promising area. But one that our listeners might be a little bit more familiar with is chatbots, of course. But one of the key kind of trends I've noticed with chatbots recently is that they're being used more for agent assist as opposed to kind of being a channel in their own right. Why do you think this might be? These solutions need training and they're not just things which you switch on and say, right, you know, listen to what the customer says and respond, you know, which is what Microsoft did. Uh, you know, go and learn about the world effectively was the was the goal. And they within twenty four hours this chatbot was taught to be racist and you know all sorts of other things which you, know, you can you can go and search the Tay chatbot online if you want to find out more about you know what happened. But it just illustrates the point that actually sitting behind a chatbot is a lot of work to build conversations that actually work for a customer. You know, there's no point creating a chatbot which in nine times out of ten you're know, not solving the customer's problem you're not containing the conversation if you like because you're know, you're just then you've then got the cost of the chatbot and then you've got the cost of the follow-on contact to fix what the chatbot didn't resolve so conversation design it's a critical part of that and at the moment there are too many bad chatbots out there customer facing chatbots so the benefit of using agent assistance first is that you can effectively use the agents as your safe test ground if you like for developing a chatbot which just sits and listens in background or watches in the background for the conversation that the agent's having with the customer and then makes suggestions you know so it can be quite supportive and can supercharge the agent's capabilities but it certainly speeds up the process by suggesting things that the customer that the agent may need to help solve the, the customer's problem so if the customer sort of is saying you know, I need a, I've got a question about my bill you know I don't think the the, the rates on my tariff are quite right, for example, for a, for a water company or electricity, then, you know, as it hears tariffs, it can pop up the link that says, okay, here's the link to the tariffs relevant for this customer. So it might be that that might not be the thing that you need at that point, but hopefully as, as time goes on, it will learn more about what you do need and support the agent to to resolve that interaction quicker. And so once you've done that in the safe environment of an agent, you could then take that learning. It doesn't necessarily translate directly to you know, straight, straight into the outside world, but you, know, you learn a lot about how to develop an understanding of, of language and interaction. And from there, you can then build sort of the self-serve applications that effectively represent how the agent works rather than what the process should be. Because at the end of the day, it's how your agent is interacting with customers is actually the important thing rather than trying to stick to a, a script which you know, doesn't necessarily work in the real world. So that's the benefit in my head of 
using the agent to support this process of learning and developing before you get to putting chatbots out into the into the customer world yeah i think it's kind of interesting uh, from what you said there it seems kind of that contact centers are becoming more savvy as to kind of the misconceptions that were there a few years ago are there any other kind of chatbot misconceptions that you come across maybe such as that chatbots can detect sarcasm is there any other kind of myths out there that you believe are still quite commonplace i mean i think the key myth is that these things are self-learning so you know there's quite a lot of clients who who have been have seen that demos of systems that they can watch what you do and then copy what you do and improve and there are certain elements of that which are true but what they're doing is they're collecting that information and then it's going back to a human to a trainer if you like to say yes what you've learned here is correct so add that to your process no business would be automatically allowing chatbot to update itself so it's got to got to go through that human in the loop process whatever happens so automated sort of services in that sense are, you know, are not that automated sentiment sarcasm you know again it's down to the capabilities of the language model that sits behind your chatbot and again it's you know, detecting some of those those really contextual things which you know, we take for granted as, as humans and we just know when someone's been sarcastic the systems can't do that there's no system that on a production level environment can detect sarcasm that I've ever come across so far. That's the next level of conversational development that we will get to with development of language models. And you know, there's lots of research going on about how to improve those, those language models, but it's in the lab. It's not in the real world at this point in time in any robust way. The final thing is just about sort of how much AI actually sits inside these models. So the AI sits in the language side, so understanding what the customers asked for. From there, you know, you're kicking off effectively a script. So you're running through a process. So if I want to do an, an adjustment on my car insurance, the AI is detecting the language that you're using. So you know, I want to change my vehicle. And from there we go into a process that says, right, these are the steps we need to go through. If you do it well, you can make it a good conversation as opposed to a, now give me this information, now give me that information. But that requires a lot of design work from people. It's not something that machines will do the by themselves. And you wouldn't want a machine to do it because it wouldn't work out well. There are tools to assist. There are tools which will take lots of examples of chats, for example, that's you know, live chats with cut with agents that represent that process and they can make suggestions about how to design this process well, how to design this process based on what they see. But ultimately, there's a lot of work needed from the operation to make these things effective. Yeah, I think particularly actually moving on to kind of some success stories now of uh, chatbots that have been implemented. One that I've personally been quite impressed by is uh, Lidl's Margot. But that only works in one defined scenario of recommending kind of food and wine pairings. Do you think at the moment that chatbots working for one defined scenario is the ideal strategy for an organization? It's the only strategy, <laughs> I'm afraid, in the sense that you're training something to do a certain task. Yeah? So once you've kicked off a process that says, right, this is about you know, um, you know, car insurance adjustment or a, a change of address within the car insurance sector, then you can build these scenarios in the chatbot and you know, the language model is tuned for that industry, for those products, etc. But you wouldn't 
on the same platform, being able to put your your wine bot, for want of a better better phrase, that's very much a, a separate application. And so it's really down to a sort of very narrow forms of AI at this point in time. And yeah, there are there are some really good examples, man. I think people like Booking.com have done a really good job with the supports of their chat around the process of post-booking, pre-visit, done a lot of work to to make that chat support there do a job in a really specific part of their process. You know, it's not even covering sort of the end-to-end process of I'm looking for somewhere to go um, or post-interaction process, post, post-visit process. It's all about ensuring that issues that you have in that stage of the process of your experience are dealt with very well. So you have to really think about where you're going to get most bang for your buck in terms of developing some of these applications. And the more focused, the better at this stage, I think is definitely the key thing. It's interesting how the chatbots are being implemented at the moment. And a lot of it is to kind of take up the transactional queries that contact centers face, kind of the simple transactional questions that they get posed. Do you think over time this will start to have an impact on kind of the job of the call center advisor? It certainly will, you know, and I think we have to accept that we've had automation sort of in the contact center space over many years, and that that has continually taken away some of the lower complexity tasks. And, you know, we're seeing things like robotic process automation combined with AI, which is quite a a different thing, working to reduce some of those tasks as well. You know, so I I know of one particular client in that space who's deployed some RPA into their operation to bring together all their different systems and make it simple for agents to, to access to kick off processes to to reduce the effort in that process you know they've reduced their headcount needs by 25 percent you know that's that's a great success in the sense of cost but clearly it has an impact on the contact center there are not many cases where we're seeing that sudden step change you know, in need of resourcing i think we're going to see a very gradual impact of ai and i think personally i think majority of that impact will be handled through natural attrition in the contact center rather than you know, sort of you know, sudden job losses for most clients so what that then means for for the resources that's still there which is you know, a good proportion of people clearly is that the tasks they will be handling will become more complex and therefore, the power of the agent assistance tools is there that comes to the fore then because you're dealing with, with the more complex issues and anything that you can do to help to make that easier for the agent is clearly a good thing for the customer as well. Yeah. So there's lots of bits coming together that AI is helping with across you know, that whole experience, whether it's taking some tasks and fully automating them or it's supporting the agent. So the wider question of what does that mean for us as a society and you know the numbers of jobs that AI will impact and, and take away, you know, I, I think no one's got a real answer for that at this point in time, except that in my view, we will be creating a lot of new jobs to support so the development of this technology and, and it will open up new jobs as technology always has done. Yeah, so I'm a real supporter, as you can imagine, of, of what the technology can do. And, and I hope and I believe that it will be supporting society for good, not just taking away jobs today. Yeah, it's interesting. I think 
contact centres have a lot to think about maybe in terms of lowering occupancy so advisors to get a longer time between calls if they're longer calls with greater complexity so there's definitely lots to think about and I think a key topic that we haven't actually discussed yet that you mentioned there was robotic process automation. Do you think it's good to have some sort of RPA in place before an AI solution is deployed? I think it's good to think about them both together, actually. RPA is very dumb (laughs) in many ways, but it's simply, you know, helping you to take away sort of key presses, you know, on a, on a desktop for an advisor. What it can't do is make any decisions except some some basic logic decisions of, you know, have I have I collected all the data I need to collect from dist- different systems? And does that data make sense to pass on to the next stage of the process? Now, if there's a decision to be made at that point, which is, are we going to approve something or are we going to confirm that a customer can shift across from one tariff to another or something like that, then there's some decision logic needed now maybe that decision logic is quite simple and it's just based on you know the meeting a few criteria or it could be more complex and normally if it's of those complex ones that require a human to intervene and, and make a decision obviously the rpa just kicks those out into a queue and you know someone will go through them and decide on you know yes no yes no so if you can't automate that because it's quite complex, then clearly there's still quite a bit of work that needs to be needs to be done manually. But over time, I think you know, if you sat down and went through those decisions and said, right, actually, we could probably build some AI that could give us initially maybe 80% certainty in 20% of cases that you know, the decision that we're going to make through an AI is correct, then let's build a model that does that because it then takes out 20% of those bits of work that are queued to the human for decision making and over time you can improve that model and it will give a 80% certainty in in 30% of the time etc cetera, etc cetera. so for me i see that rpa has some glue in between the different bits of it which is provided by ai and the human and over time the ai will be able to do more of those decision making steps and allow the human to focus on sort of the the really complex stuff so i think Put them in together is a way to think about it. That sounds significant in terms of effort, and it, and it is. But you know, clearly, I think for me, RPA can be done. The bit that's just automating sort of the current process can be done by itself. You then get the extra benefit by putting the AI in between the two. And I think the organisations that provide RPA today are starting to think about that, but they're not there yet. They're more focused on. There's still a massive market just for automating some of the process. And in time, you know, that next step will come. But I think they will start sort of flowing together and and delivering significant benefits in unison, really. Yeah, I think that kind of certainly matches what I've seen in terms of automation being introduced at the moment. It is very kind of much in the back office and yet to be brought kind of really to the forefront of contact centers. So it'll be hopefully we will kind of see that happen. But in terms of kind of AI being deployed on a wider scale, which sectors do you think will be the first to kind of introduce AI solutions on massive, you'd like? Yeah, so everyone talks about customer service uh, when you see charts that sort of show where the benefits. I mean, the customer service does always come up near the top of those charts of potential benefits. I think there's some areas where we're starting to see more real world examples of delivering some significant benefits like in the the healthcare space that's a very much a, a sector that is using both image technology 
supported by AI, as well as sort of decision making to supercharge sort of the process of diagnosis, for example. Again, you've got to be very careful with, with that and make sure that if there's any doubt, you know, then it's escalated. But people like Babylon Health are a company that you see a lot of based in the UK, doing a lot of work with the NHS to develop solutions and services in the healthcare space. So that's that's worth looking at. And I think in financial services specifically, I think you know, the areas around fraud and managing the, that aspect of risk is a big area at the moment. And yeah, you know, there are some clear financial benefits right off the bat if you know, if you can save. 10% of your losses in fraud, you know, the business case is very clear. And so that's getting some really good traction. I think with customer service, we're in that game of, you know, how do we introduce channels? Because effectively, you know, chatbots are a new channel without creating more work. You know, I think people introduced web chat. It was supposed to reduce contact and provide a lower cost. I'd say that most people still see web chat as a channel, which is the same cost as, as a phone channel. And you've got to be very it's quite challenging to prove that you've reduced contact as a result of a web chat because you've got to link data together. So I think some of the elements of proving the value in contact centers is it still has some way to go. I suppose these are the areas where we're sort of seeing it, it, it progress quite um, quite fast. The applications across industry, you know, this this is not a technology that sits in one space. It's it's uh, obviously we see it in the automotive space and in, in, in you know, self driving cars and those sorts of things. You know, but we are a long way from having a self driving car on the road at this point in time. And, and I think there are some, not saying we're at a false dawn, but you know, we've been through what was termed an AI winter between, I guess, when I did my PhD and you know, 2010, perhaps. And there's a danger of it being oversold in some areas. And I think what I'm trying to do and, and others is to is to try and provide produce some realistic benefits for clients and, and help set real ex- realistic expectations and show those benefits in, in real terms in terms of savings or customer experience improvements, which are really important. Excellent. Well, I think there's a lot in there for us to take away. I certainly learned a lot today. So uh, thanks, David. Where can our listeners find you if they wish to find out more about implementing AI in their own contact center? So you can look at the website, which is humanotics.co.uk or drop me an email, david.naylor at humanotics.co.uk. Happy to have a chat and just answer any questions, even if it's just, you know, tell me a bit more about AI or I want to understand sort of what this means or that means. Always good to have interactions with people about that. So yeah, those are the ways. That's all for this episode. Thank you, David Naylor from Humanotics for joining us today. This episode of the Contact Centre podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. Next week on the Contact Centre podcast, we'll be looking at the topic of improving customer journeys with Martin Hill-Wilson from Brain Food Extra.